water, earth, fire, air. Welcome to Bending the Elements. A production by the Novice Elitist Podcast. With your hosts, Caleb and Isaac. podcast about all things Avatar. Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, and those in between, to Bending the Elements, an Avatar podcast. Yeah, this episode's book one, chapter six, Imprisoned. You may follow us, or follow along with us as we watch it, but again, we will, as always, stop and chat about the episode. Yeah, going scene by scene. And again, I, we mention this every now and again, but I forget most of the time. Yeah, this show is spoiler-free, except for the episode that we're watching and the episodes that preceded it. But for the rest of the series, we're keeping all those spoilers till the end of the episode, tucked away in the spoiler section. Aye, you've been warned. But I'll just quickly mention as well, this episode is written by Matt Hubbard, someone who hadn't written for this show prior or since, so there's not much to say about him. But... The main thing to mention is that this episode was directed by Mr. Dave Filoni. Your so. old pal. Our old pal from CG Wars. Yes, he's returned yet again to the show. I think the last one he did was the pilot, I think. It was the pilot. The prodigal son of Avatar himself. Or I guess not the, the pilot, but the opening two episodes. I don't know who directed the actual pilot. It's the, it's the pilot. Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, the unaired pilot, you mean. Yeah, the unaired pilot, yeah. I think that actually might have been Brake. Hmm. Oh, but yeah, that's all I had for that little bit of opening notes. So just to give a brief summary before we start the episode proper here. This episode begins with Team Avatar still making their way to the Northern Water Tribe, this time finding themselves strapped for supplies after weeks of the journey. They stop in a local village after coming across a teen boy practicing some earthbending in the nearby woods. They find out his name is Haru and are quickly made aware that earthbending has been outlawed in these parts local Fire Nation regent shows up to shake down his mom's shop for a couple extra coins, and Katara tries to encourage him to rebel against this corrupt authority. Now, the two form a bond as Katara pushes him to engage with his nature as a vendor, and we find out that Haru's father was locked away for using his power. Things come to a head when Katara and Haru come across a cave in which an old man is overwhelmed by a collapsing rockfall. Katara tells Haru that the only way to save the elderly miner is to use his earthbending skills to free him. This proves to be a mistake, as the old Kadra immediately turns him over to the authorities. Katara, feeling responsible for Haru's imprisonment, hatches a scheme to get herself locked up and spurn a revolution amongst the prisoners. The prison is completely barren of earth, which adds an extra hurdle to her plan, but worse than that, the prisoners themselves, led by Haru's father, are more worried about their own survival than liberation. Aang and Sokka arrive to help Katara and Haru escape, but Katara refuses to leave without the others. The two agree to help her, but are quickly thwarted as they were spotted flying in on Appa. The guards surround them, and even the prisoners encourage them to give up. All hope seems to be lost, until deep within the bowels of the ship, Aang uses his airbending skills to bring up a large deposit of coal to the top deck. Haru fires the first shot, and that's all the spark needed to ignite the flame of rebellion within the prisoners. They win their freedom against their oppressors, and Haru and his father thank Katara for helping them. 
but all isn't well as Katar realizes that she left her mother's necklace on the prisoner's ship, which doesn't lay lost for long as it's picked up by the arch-nemesis of Team Avatar, Team Zuko, in his fires from hell! Team Zuko? I mean, there's Team Azula, but like... Not Team Rocket? Uh, I mean, he doesn't really <laughs> blast off again, so... It was just a stupid joke. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. I, I like it, but I'm just like, Team Zuko? Alright, so... If you have your legally or illegally purchased copies of the show with you, uh, near you, on your phone, or on your television, get it time to answer or please pass play right now. Yeah, not that we really keep in sync either way, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, we do not. Imprisoned. That is a nice background, even if you could tell it's a painting. Yeah, no, jumping into the start of this episode, yeah, beautiful background work. And just a great little shot overall. Whistler Sun. It feels a little, like, rough Miyazaki-ish. It's almost a little watercolory, maybe, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that on that one, eh? It's, uh, yeah, I, I must say, it doesn't have the same feeling as, as it being winter, though, unless in this region where there are, it is, you know, winter, as in, like, you know, right now we're experiencing summer or spring, excuse me, here, uh, at least in Pacific Canada. But over in, say, like, south of the equator, everybody's experiencing rain season, I believe. Mm. So maybe it's a little different. Maybe it's a little warmer up there. I mean, they are getting away from the poles. I guess that's a subtle thing that we don't really realize is that they, they start winter and then they go probably, you know, it's more mild temperatures or at least what it would yeah. appear as and other regions and then as they get closer to the pole it becomes winter again that's uh, i i didn't realize that until now that's that's kind of cool yeah and and it might still be like wintry kind of season here they just have very mild winter because all their leaves and stuff are off their trees i you know what i forgot about that <laughs> yeah all Sokka have managed to scrounge up for food is just some a couple nuts <laughs> so <laughs> not exactly a ripe time for uh foraging Hey, he got a nut that may be a rock, or a nut-shaped rock, excuse me. Yeah, what do you think about the little bit of uh, comedic timing with uh, Momo bashing the rock against uh, another rock and making like the ground shake? Well, I think it's for first, uh, first-time first viewers. I wonder what they did think. It's like, is it a, you know, something going on in the background? Is the Fire Nation there? Are they using a weapon of some sort? Our previous episode, of course, was the, I guess, introduction to Earthbending in a way. Because we hadn't seen an Earthbender at that point. Yeah, except for the opening. I guess that there's that too. <laughs> Durr. Thank you for that. But you, you know what I mean. Where I wonder, In fact, I guess I wonder if that episode... What if that episode was out of order? Yeah, probably not. No, that was just them first wandering into the Earth Kingdom. I guess so. It was the introduction to the Earth Kingdom, and it was a safe haven in a way. Whereas here we're now in like... I'm going to say no man's land, but we're certainly in uncharted territory and or like, you know, one for all territory, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I do get to mean it. And it's been a while since I've seen this first season, but I feel like they spend quite a bit of time in the Earth Kingdom, at least another couple episodes. But. Yeah, I mean, they have to, you know, stop somewhere and there's only so many water tribe places, funny enough, and air nomad places that mostly it's the earth kingdom that's taking over not well not taking over but uh is primarily around that would been interesting you know previous avatars where the borderlines were set up yeah no that is actually very interesting to think hmm. 
and whether or not certain um, avatars had a hand in in giving. Um, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, if if they had a hand in in setting the borderlines or not, and then like years later, um, some people aren't happy with the borderlines and. They just are like, ah, you in a previous life messed us over. How dare you? You have to undo it now. It's like, but the times have changed. I don't know if I can do that. But for now, we have an unknown earthbender, a young one at this point. Another potential candidate for Aang's uh, uh, earthbending Mm. future later Mm. on. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he's just out here kind of tucked away, kind of hidden in this little valley, practicing a little earthbending. Yep, and then they're like, uh, oh yeah, we've got to approach him day cautiously, as, as Sokka says, because apparently he's distrustful of Earthbenders now. That's interesting. I think he's just distrustful of everybody. He's even distrustful of himself. Maybe because he, he needed to kind of feel like the uh, man of the village. He's just generally... I guess so. ...kind of insular, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Like, immediately when Aang showed up, he's like, we need to get away from here, get him on a... Like, we can't trust this guy. But he warms up pretty quick. I, I see what you mean. That's true. And him dropping all the, the axe or whatever, all his um, all his walls or whatever you want to call it, and it immediately would kind of be, not out of character, but just like, all right, well, we're not going with that characterization. Yeah, it would just yeah go against his nature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It being established for a few episodes actually does kind of... Yeah. help him have a character which is nice and it gives him an arc it gives him character development for him to relax and get rid of those barriers and or walls that he sets up and be more open to a person speaking of advancing character in the last episode or not the last one but the warriors of kiyoshi we kind of saw a little bit of a romantic angle for Sokka. so for this one they kind of hinted a little bit of a romantic angle with katara and haru or i guess we haven't heard his name yet but very, very subtly, I'll say that, but we haven't seen that yet. I, I do, I do love the scene though of of you know, Sokka's like approached cautiously, and all of a sudden, I was like, "Hey, what's going on, man? How's it going?" Yeah, she's got those big eyes, like, "Oh, he's so attractive." Kind of look to her, yeah. And he just goes bolting away. He's like, "Oh crap!" Like someone's seen me doing this. He's like, "Oh no! Oh no! It's a it's a girl." <laughs> well, I gotta get away. <laughs> She's got the cooties. I gotta get away from me. Ugh. Well, maybe that's the initial impression, but I'm, I'm, once we get into it more, I'm, there's another reason behind it. There is but. that too. Uh, but of course, Aang actually using his intelligence for once. Um, that's not true. He's intelligent, but actually the smart guy here in this one where he uses uh, logic to th- reason that the guy ran somewhere. And therefore, if he's running somewhere, that means that he has shelter and or a home nearby which means mm-hmm. he might be a part of the village. And what does a village have? Food. Yeah. And it doesn't, what it doesn't have is nuts. Yeah. And as Sokka said, I worked hard to get those nuts. Yeah. But then he didn't like him either, which I liked. <laughs> yes. Good jokes around in this episode. I'd say, what did, what did you think of those? No. Yeah. I definitely had a couple of good laughs, audible laughs too, not just kind of a little chuckle to myself, but like, huh? Yeah, no, it's like, that's actually quite funny. But so after he takes off, off they trot to find the little village, and seemingly immediately they stumble on upon him again. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, hang on, hang on. Sure. First, we get like Solo. We have to get an introduction for everything. Here, even though they don't focus on it, we get the introduction of Ang's hat that oh. he wears uh, as well, kind of throughout the season as well, which is a 
good disguise, even though he's still wearing Air Nomad attire and the Fire Nation could probably see right through that. But but still, it's yeah, at least it covers up the tattoos. It does, although not the arrows on his hands, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Should probably wear gloves. And he says, cool hat. I'll trade you some nuts for it. <laughs> Implying that he either kept some nuts or he was going to swindle him. Yeah, what kind? Some kind of monk you are there, Mang. Anyway, sorry. Okay, so take point. Go ahead. Yeah, so they they show up at this little kind of a little shop, little food shop or whatever. I mean, there's not really much in it, really, but <laughs> merchant stand or store, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So Haru and his mom are just kind of hanging out in there, and then yeah, Team Avatar shows up. And they're like, "Hey, we saw you earthbending," <laughs> and immediately the two of them are on edge. <laughs> Freaking, yeah, freaking Aang just drops it. Of like, I don't know if Tar was going to say it, but yeah, Aang is just like, um, oh, what is it? Uh, not as naive as he is, just completely goes, hey, you're the you're the one who was earthbending. It's like, what did you say? Mm-hmm. Can't say that word around here. Yeah, everyone gets real on edge, and yeah, very quickly we realize, oh, no, bending apparently is not acceptable in this area. And then faster than you could say a firebender walking over hot coals. The firebenders show up, or the fire nation shows up, excuse me. Yeah, more like the fire, like, uh, low-grade mobster shows up. Oh, yeah. Looking to extort somebody. Hey, you know, this, this goof place, you know, it's looking pretty nice. I'd hate for something bad to happen to it, you know? Unfortunately, <laughs> there's, uh, there's some stuff that, uh, I wouldn't want to see go amiss. Let's put it that way. Yeah, did you ever, this, this little off topic, did you ever see the, that Monty Python sketch? When there's like a general, or it's a colonel actually, and he's like, oh, there's these two men to see you. It's uh, someone Vakati and something else. And the whole sketch is this general's sitting there and these guys are like, hey, this is a nice army base you got here, colonel. Oh, golly. I'd hate to see something happen to it. They're like, oh, these are some nice tanks. I'd hate to see someone set fire to them. (laughs) Just completely oblivious to the fact that he's a general or a colonel, excuse me. And eventually the colonel's just like, this This sketch is getting too silly. I'm stopping it right now. <laughs> In true Monty Python fashion. Yeah, yeah, just throw the whole thing away. <laughs> anyway, so the, the mom, she, you know, throws a couple extra coins at him. Because apparently she's already paid her extortion money, but he's just coming, looking for a little extra. So Captain Zoltier, being the the biggest uh, uh, knucklehead he is in the in the village, yeah. So he takes off, and then Katara immediately. Well, <laughs> I I just want to say, like, yeah, I I don't know if you like that little shot of them all being like you know freeze framed and just like it, it was just a a little moment. I mean, yeah, it was a little gag. Anyway, yeah. So kicks him out, gives gives him the money, which is pretty stupid. What are you gonna do? Yeah doesn't even take the copper that that guy's not worth it yeah and immediately after he's gone katara just jumps on to hey like this is unacceptable you have to keep you know even if they're trying to hold you down you have to hold to your nature and continue to bend and neither the mom or Haru are really having it or at least he's putting up a front that he's not having it so yeah no this is uh this is one of those cases where and, and it, it does it is interesting of like you know they're these are strangers in this land and they don't know what these people have gone through and all of a sudden they're here and saying like well why don't you just fight and i i don't know if they demonstrated this properly in this episode or not and it's not my apprehension of this episode certainly not but it does make me wonder if 
when it's okay to kind of just say like, well, why can't you fight back? Why can't you do this? It's the same thing you would if your friend's feeling down and you don't know they're in the situation. It's like, no, cer- certainly you have to, you have to get better at this. You gotta, you gotta con- conquer your fears or your whatever's going on. You can get through this. And the person's dealing with uh, thoughts of uh, ending their life or something like that. And doing uh, they might say the wrong thing and that might trigger them and go off spiral downward even further i don't know when is it all right to speak up uh like that uh when you are an unbiased person uh well i mean i guess katara you know even though it is kind of pushing his buttons it does end up helping him in the end and it does kind of inspire him to hold to his uh using his abilities so it certainly does. I'm not going to deny. I'm not trying to like, you know, deny that. I'm just saying like, if she didn't know any better, what if she was like, what if Haru, for all, for all we know, what if Haru uh, actually was like a, a villain or something like that? Maybe not a villain, but what if he, what if the whole situation was reversed? The idea is she does egg them on too much and bad things come from that. But I guess you know, technically there is an episode for that. So never mind. Let's proceed. You know, I'm just thinking because bad things happen here, but then it also good things come from it later. So it's a little, like, a little bit of a mix. It's basically the idea is you got to be maybe stay in the situation for a while first, get to know the what, what's happening basically, um, the behavior and the economy of the land first to see uh, the ins and outs of who's being oppressed by whom exactly, and then maybe talk. That's that's just me again neutral gin as as again a future uh, person will talk about oh but for an example of the oppressed look no further than haru's father who was locked up for earthbending so it's another reason why he's kind of uh practicing in private but also you know kind of maybe a little trying to distance himself from his nature in a way it's a little bit of mixed signals at least he was acting that way in front of his mom but once he's alone with katari kind of reaches back to it again so yeah he opens it up that this is for sure it, it is a part of him it is almost a x-men type thing it is interesting though the idea of you know them outlawing earthbending almost kind of saying in a way the fire nation is the fire is superior to earth in a way uh that our fire we can create it and you guys cannot create earth you have to use uh pre-existing earth uh, instead of you can't literally create the earth around you. That's why, you know, we forbid it. Because if you can't create your own element, then you are nothing. It's just kind of something that I got from, from that. Well, you might be giving a little bit more thoughtful uh, explanation the firebenders would have. I think really for them, it was just like, we want you completely oppressed with no ability to fight against us. So if you present any sort of resistance at all, you're imprisoned. There is that obvious one, or there is that obvious uh, idea in the in the in the foreground, foreground, excuse me. But I think in the background, again, I'm, I am probably uh, tooting my horn a little bit too loud and whatnot. But I, I feel like it, it it is kind of that as well, where it is a superiority thing uh, of uh, we are we are better than you, and therefore uh, because we can create our element and you cannot, therefore you are inferior to us. Even though it's not really what it is. <laughs> I mean, they haven't said that in the show proper, but that is a subtext that comes very frequently with uh, imperialist nations. So this is true. That's absolutely a fair reading. But 
might not be the practical reason, but it might be the more kind of ideological one behind it. It could have also been that they were just nervous about getting into that kind of more um, muddy waters with <laughs> with um, a, a children's kind of program. I mean, they've, they they go far with some stuff, so I can't not say they they won't go far with uh yeah with certain storytelling but that that's fair i'm not, I'm not gonna knock them for not you know having my read on 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 one of these episodes but whatever no no yeah yeah so they are allowed to stay in haru's barn i assume this is his house i i yeah it is his house uh and of course we have <laughs> A good, another good joke. I don't know if you laughed out loud to it, but I'd say it was a pretty well delivered joke. Of like, you know, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll make sure Appa doesn't eat all your hay." Cut to Appa eating the hay, and giving a look to uh, uh, a, a turn, eating it, and then you know just goes back to it. <laughs> like, got it. I can't promise you everything. My guinea pigs sure know what hay means. Anytime I mention hay, they get all excited, start jumping. Oh all over the place. boy! Holy crap! It's coming! It's coming! We love hay. So. Oh boy! I hope it tastes. I hope it has some some spice to it. I hope there's some heft to it because <laughs> I'd like some of that hay to be different today. No, it's the same hay. That's fine by me. Hopefully, we'll one day, one day we'll get it. <laughs> they seem to like it, but <laughs> well, that's fair. But then, yes, we have the uh, we have the aside of Haru and Katara mm. talking to each other. Yeah, and he starts talking about how all those guys tried to put up a fight. And it really just proved meaningless, and they were all locked up. Yeah, all the uh, earth earthbenders of the village, he means, and his dad. Yeah, exactly, yep. Yeah. yeah, all those guys. <laughs> Talking about vague. Just descriptive. <laughs> and uh, we get a little moment there where he's kind of spinning some rocks around, saying that his father taught him everything that he knew about earthbending. And that's kind of like the only thing he really has left him ever since the Fire Nation stole him away. I guess that's why he practices in private, even though he knows the danger of it. It's still some connection to his dad. Again, yeah, when he, as he, you know, stated that doing so is makes him think of his dad, which is a good thing. You know, it's always the thing, and his, and his dad was a good, good person to look up to, as we'll find out. And oh. I like the fact that he's very good in that he can actually like crumple um, Earth into dust almost. No, that was that was pretty cool. I kind of like that. Yeah, and we get a little bit of a uh, little bit of Chekhov's necklace here. I, I just quickly before that, I I just realized, or I was thinking about it, Haru is almost a a good counterpart and or foil to Katara in a way of that if she hadn't, if she was in his place, or if there was a waterbender present in her village, uh, I wonder if the same thing would happen almost. Uh, where if if there was a waterbender who like I don't remember, I don't actually I don't believe her mom's a waterbender neither her dad's not a bender either so but imagine if one of her parents were a bender waterbender excuse me and she uh, was taught by them i think they'd be on the same skill like what i'm saying is haru is basically on the same skill level as katara not now of course but uh eventually will become uh if she did have just um self-taught by mm-hmm. her parent in a way if that if that makes any sense yeah, someone to give her some basic training. Uh, she certainly becomes more powerful later on. I know that. I'm not, I'm not denying that. Her skills uh, go up. <laughs> she levels up, yes. But I'm saying, like, if she were just stuck still at the South Pole, but there was another set waterbender present that was teaching her, 
I think she'd basically be Haru of that village, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that's fair. I mean, you you mean purely in, in terms of skills, not the uh, oppress element. Yeah, no. <laughs> That'd be another case of, like, if they were being oppressed of her, um, if the Fire Nation did take her teacher and her other... I mean, there weren't any... This is only, like, one waterbender instead of all of them. I mean, she'd obviously hide it. I wonder if she would herself be like Haru and either want to do it or just practice in session and need to have a little push as the Joker would say. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But, but just since you mentioned oppression, it made my brain kind of jump off. It is nice to see in this episode, a little bit of a different view of the fire nations, oppressive empire. Cause so far we've just seen them coming in and kind of, you know, burning things up or in, in the case of Zuko, just, you know, chasing after the avatar. This one, we kind of see them as an established oppressive force. Yes. You know, they're going around bullying people into giving them more taxes, probably just to fill that own guy's pockets, probably not even for the actual Fire Nation <laughs> money. But Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, t- yeah, you know what? That's a, that is a good point. I, I actually wouldn't even say a different approach or a different light. I'd say a, at least in the, in the, like out of universe, a, uh, another uh, form of oppression. Not just a new form, but or a different form, but a new form to us um, that they are actually taking prisoners. And this is kind of what I mean by I wish the original trilogy did this as well, or we saw, because we didn't really get that with the original trilogy of the Empire um, in, either enslaving or really, I guess that what the Death Star doesn't count. I, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Not even just in the taking prisoners, but being like a constant occupying force yeah the fact that they've stripped them of like this basic element of their nature like you can't even bend like what the (laughs) blowing up a planet alderaan didn't count like (laughs) yeah that's complete genocide that's that's i guess that is genocide never mind (laughs) this is kind of like stealing away their culture in a way even though technically the fire nation also did that they they did commit genocide so never mind (laughs) yeah they did empire seriously is that (laughs) I just mean we've seen lots of overt, violent elements. This is kind of a more subtle violence. Yes, unfortunately. And one that does kind of exist in real world, at least in modern times. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about the recent news of the residential schools in in Canada here. Oh, boy. A big element of uh, kind of culture erasure. Remember, uh, this is after the fact, but everybody wear orange shirts for the next week. Or if you don't have an orange shirt, wear an orange armband or something orange. Oh, is that like a color that they're using for like remembrance or something? I don't, I don't that's know. The, that's those. the remembrance. Yeah, that's the orange shirt day is kind of the next big thing for uh, for aboriginals of the land. Although I thought it was also red shirt day, but I'm not getting into that here. Yeah, but it's good to inform kids that violence isn't always such an overt act. No. It's not just an invading force. Sometimes it really is just a occupying force that strips away what, what you have or what you were. Oh, but I guess we should continue past this scene here. I've had a pause. Of break. course. Sorry. So um, um, what, was, what did you call it? Uh, Deus Ex Necklacica or? Uh, just Chekhov's. Yeah. Necklace Chekhov's necklace. Chekhov's necklace. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What, <laughs> the necklace comes in handy for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Haru mentioning how the bending is kind of his only connection to his, his parent. And Katara mentions that her necklace is kind of her only connection to her mom. So. And that was the first time we got that. I wonder if Aang knows about that. 
did like obviously in between episodes do you think she told Aang about what the betrothed necklace was yeah i I don't remember if they mentioned that or not so i've I've got no clue (laughs) i don't think so that's interesting that she doesn't go with that with ang just lure him in with that uh with ang i obviously not oh but so after that kind of more (laughs) sorry i just said some fun thought that's fair so after that more kind of intimate scene between the two of them, kind of building up, like I mentioned, some of that kind of subtle romantic energy between them, um, we they come across an old elderly miner, or at least I assume he's a miner. I don't know what he was doing in that cave, but there's some sort of cave in, and this old man is covered in rocks, and water as well is is there for whatever reason, and Katara and Haru try to save him. But it just doesn't quite work, and the only way to save him is for Har to use his earth bending. What's that? What's that, Momo? Old uh, old Jimmy's stuck in the mine. Uh oh, that's not. We gotta go rescue him. We 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 gotta go uh, get him out of there. And you you say an elder miner? Well, he certainly looks like a miner. That's for sure. <laughs> well, he looks more like he should be like an old folks home. Like, what was he doing in there? That that too. This, this is true. I can't. Like he does not look like he has the uh, body that would be good for a miner. <laughs> no, that's that's certainly true. Um, was I don't want to say come across and say this was forced, but like this is really weird. Like if there was more subtext of that, because Haru was messing around with earthbending, and he was the cause of this. Like mm. obviously that would mean he'd have to be in the mines to do so. But like this cave in just happened to be because of him and his recent you know earthbending that would have been interesting yeah, and instead we just get deus ex uh cavena <laughs> yeah just all of a sudden like and now i'm gonna like as a dm just i throw a a, a cave in at you yeah. uh, where this guy shouldn't be able to walk afterwards uh with all that like you know rock crushing him but again we really don't see many people get burnt by the fire so well okay except for zuko what am i what am i saying <laughs> You know what I mean. Yeah, but either way, we get Grandpa's plot device, and we cut back to a nice little scene with Team Avatars. They're all settling in for sleep, and Katara's feeling pretty proud of herself, a little bit a little bit smug, like, well, maybe not smug, but... <laughs> she has some pep to her right now because she feels like she did something good. Yeah. She got through to somebody. Uh, so for once, she's actually kind of, you know, happy to go to sleep. By the way, just, just quickly, I feel like even though Haru blasted all that rock back which was an amazing scene but that was very very cool very good um good animation and all that stuff mm-hmm. i feel like though he destroyed this the um the structure that was the, the wood that was holding up the mine uh cave or the the, the the opening of the cave or the mine initially yeah he, he just yeah screwed the whole thing <laughs> i wouldn't say it when i wouldn't he bring the whole thing down or unless he like <laughs> sure. you know solidified the rock around whatever <laughs> He should have, yeah. The whole thing should have come tumbling, but... like, because he blasted a bunch of rock that was already caved in. So that that means that there's a hole, right? So that means that, well, you know, if there's, it's no longer if the hole's now filled, that means that more stuff would be coming through. It, whatever. Yeah, it, the image itself, it just looks like he blows it into like a black hole or a brown hole. Well, he blows it down the mine shaft, like he blows it. F- like further into the mine shaft so it's like did he structurally um stabilize the tunnel itself i i could actually see that 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 i could see where he 
patched the hole basically and now it's a firm mine shaft but whatever yeah but getting past the uh, i'm spending too much time on this <laughs> getting past the mine shaft conundrum um so yeah we cut back to his i guess it's their little shop and we see some marching foots coming its way as the fire nation nazis arrive maybe i shouldn't say nazis well it's 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 it is that's that's fair but it's uh, they they juxtapose and or they cut between you know the the uh team avatar sleeping uh and then yes the the troops on the on the march you know the foot soldiers are like they're going somewhere and this time the some of the foot soldiers actually look different now that's that's kind of nice yeah and leading the way uh one has a mustache the other doesn't which is nice leading the way is the mobster uh kind of uh soldier and then in front of him lightning bolt zolt's dad (laughs) there you go and then in front of him is that curmudgeonly old grandpa is like that's the guy who saved me lock him up lock him up (laughs) what did you think of that sir (laughs) i was like hey screw this old man man they should have left him to die that's only after the fact, though. He only had a couple years left in him anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's that's only after the fact. That's very interesting that he actually obeyed. That that it, I guess it certainly does show like the Fire Nation taking over or breaking them down. Yeah, breaking the spirit completely. Yeah, unfortunately. So I I get it, and you're gonna have those people like. Yeah, that is a, a thing about being among an occupying force is even the people who treat you right if they break the rules sometimes you're like maybe i can get ahead in some way get a little touch of freedom or maybe some sort of um privilege if i help out the uh kind of oppressing class so you scratch my back i scratch yours (laughs) yeah he saw his in to kind of you know push someone under their foot to lift himself up so he took it and you know it's hard to judge people in that situation but screw them yep. you know <laughs> at the same time fair enough it's hard to judge but <laughs> but where are we now here we're, what's your time Katara's today? getting water from the well Katara oh okay yes yeah so that after that morning yeah Katara she's practicing some water bending a little bit boldly I'll just say considering the uh you know place that she's in yeah very liberally in a way if you if you say yeah and she sees the poor mom looking up to the water, you know, feeling pretty sad. Yep. And yes, gets clued into, oh no. She gets it. I kind of messed up here. <laughs> and no words are said. Mm-hmm. Very good visual storytelling. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Of course, context is provided of like, if you saw the last scene, then you kind of, and everything beforehand. So it, yeah, the visual storytelling justifies itself. It's just a lovely little moment of uh, storyboarding. There you go, where you don't need any dialogue whatsoever. You can just let the scene play out for itself, which is nice. Yeah, and she goes and informs the rest of the team, and immediately she gets to work on a scheme on how to uh, free him. A scheme, you say? Yeah, it's a scheme. Uh, And that involves some weird... uh, There's a couple vents that are like right across from each other, and she (laughs) wants to trick these uh, Fire Nation guards into thinking that she's an earthbender by having Aang blow a big stone up in the air. So it seems a little convoluted and convenient that those vents are placed that way. But, uh, and then what do you think of the scene where they actually play it out, where they have Sokka and her have a little fight? <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. First off, I actually would have, again, this is after the fact, and it sounds like I'm couch seat quarterbacking or backseat gaming, whatever you want to call it. 
hindsight is twenty twenty. I kind of wish that at the start of the episode we had the vents everywhere, and then we had either somebody who wasn't Sokka. Not because this sounds very like you know dumb of me to say, but why would? Unless I'm wrong on this, but like, why would Sokka know about this? Like, why would he know that there were mo- like in the mine there was all these vents? Now the vents make sense because the vents are there for air to come in, and so the guys don't there the miners don't die from uh, asphyxiation or suffocation because there's no oxygen down there. Makes perfectly good sense. Mm-hmm. But I wish we saw more vents around the area. Unless we did, but I'm pretty sure I didn't see many, or if any, except for the two that we just see right now. What did you think of like Sokka's explanation? Do you feel it was a little expository or just. Oh, of him explaining the plan. Yeah. Of like, you know, here's what the events are. Here's where they, they come from. Oh yeah. It was completely expository, but it was necessary. So, and they make it super brief. That's true. They, it kind of reminds me of, cause throughout the show, we're going to see this more of Sokka explaining th- certain mechanics and it's almost like it's a, a thing for children in a way. Like, like you know, young children are like, okay, this is how physics work. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, I again, mean, I'm not like, I don't hate it or anything like that. I, just, I have to point that out. Yeah, but what do you think of their little uh, little fake combat scene there? <laughs> well, I love I love Aang. You know, Sokka's like, okay, do you know the plan? And Aang's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As he's literally flicking little, you know, streams of air at a butterfly. That was interesting. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and it's all laid back and whatnot. And the guards show up and again, all three faces look different. And then we have some forced acting on uh, these two guys and uh, name calling and or discrimination against ears. Yeah. And clearly there's some, uh, clearly there's some history there that we're not getting, but Sokka starts to get real heated about the ear comments coming his way. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> at, at nine 53, everybody goes to that scene good we're only at nine the nine minute mark good grief how many how long have we been recording for Jeez. i i don't even know this yeah, oh my goodness ridiculous. this is gonna be a long episode but who cares we're getting over everybody's getting their money's worth for this one anyways oh. i'm looking at them right now at nine nine fifty three yeah Sokka's ears do look a little bigger than katara's but yeah just a smidge <laughs> As, as you know, somebody else would point out, yeah, unless it depends on who's drawing them. Okay, okay quiet you. You're, you're not allowed here. Quiet you. <laughs> yeah, but either way, she's hitting him below the belt, definitely, because he's like, hey, the, come oh, on, Oh, she is, like, <laughs> she's taking him on, and what does she say? Earthbending style. Yeah. <laughs> this obviously non-green colored uh, lady. Hey, you know, maybe maybe not everything's color coordinated, you know? Maybe that's just what we're seeing, you know? <laughs> and of course, you know, the guard's just like, oh, yeah. Or, yeah, Aang does the thing, which I'm surprised. He must have thrown a lot of air at that because he's actually lifting a rock. That's that's pretty cool. Like a, a decent-sized rock. We'll talk about Aang's airbending strength at the end of this episode because, boy, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Does he do some oh, impressive feats? yes. Oh, yes. Potentially not viable uh, feats from what we've seen so far, but we'll talk about that. Let's put it this way: like, to be fair, in the last episode, he created a giant tornado that threw back um, a large column of earth. That's that's true. And then, true. previous to that, we also saw him use earth, uh, not earth, sorry, air, offensively with fans and like just launch Zuko into a into a wall or a wooden wall, excuse me. 
Yeah, I guess we'll I guess we'll get to that. So, but anyway, yeah, the yeah. Either way, Aang plays his role, and the rock goes up, and standing right behind the rock happens to be Momo, who's got his arms up, and the guards are like, "Oh my goodness, is that lemur, an earthbender? Is he earthbending?" And Sokka, <laughs> Sokka has to step in and be like, "You idiot! Like what? What? what how, how did you get this job position?" Apparently the that that guard rolled a one on spot or maybe a two. He rolled low on on spot and or just like yeah brain perception check. perhaps <laughs> yeah <laughs> how to do his job check basically. And he looks all ashamed like oh no I'm abashed. <laughs> yeah, feel taken aback. But either way they they take Katara away. Not before um you know Sokka whispers you know no here's the plan we'll give you twelve hours. Mm-hmm. So she heads off to meet uh, a certain sci-fi alum that uh, many people might uh, be. But before that, before that, before that, before that, sorry. Uh, we have a quick aside of, you know, as, as we walk away, we see, uh, we have a shot of Aang and Zuko and, ah, dang it, Aang, yeah, you do that every episode. Sokka and, I don't know why, it's your fault, <laughs> Uh Aang, Sokka, and Momo. I guess Oppa's still in the barn, by the way. I just realized. No, Oppa very quickly uh, shows up, like seconds later. I hope. I hope he doesn't. Uh, I hope he hadn't eaten all the hay, or else that's uh, that's bad for the Earthbenders. Very, very bad. But Sokka's like, kind of feeling his ears. It kind of feels a real a bit, a bit real hurt. Like Katara really hit hit him in the feels, and um, then points at Momo and kind of redirects his his shame or his. <laughs> um, sadness and, and hurt feelings towards Momo and saying, Momo, you have big ears. Yeah, maybe he's like, if everyone, everyone likes you, Momo, and you have big ears, maybe everyone can like me too. Yeah. I mean, throughout this whole show, he's proven to have, like, very very slim confidence. Like, he <sighs> puts up this fake veneer of, like, being the most ultra-confident person around, but he knows he's a fraud. He thinks he's the biggest <laughs> fish in the pond, and then he realizes that he's in an ocean. <laughs> Yeah, or at least he presents himself as he's the biggest fish, maybe because he knows he's in the ocean. That's true. He tries at least to delude himself into pretending that he doesn't know. Initially, in like, you know, his worldview is in the southern, you know, pole. And that's it. And so he thinks he's the biggest fish in that pond. And then he goes to the ocean and finds he's yeah. oh so small. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, even there, Katara always reminded him like, hey, you know, you're really not all that much. Katara really likes to do that to him. <laughs> and then we see them, the guards luring, luring, uh, taking Katara away on a wagon, which I guess is being pulled by something because it's not being driven as a uh, you know, mode of locomotion in a way. You know, by itself, a self-powered cart? What is this? Um, probably had an animal on fours in front of it. But we see Aang and Sokka in the background kind of, you know, following which is good and then transfer her to buy a boat and then ang is guiding or flying oppa very ca- uh, cautiously in the keeping the clouds which i like and obviously you would hope that nobody would uh you know just look up and be like hey what's that i'm surprised by that well we'll see that later but <laughs> yeah keeping to the clouds of course and up on the horizon is some black smoke and we see a it looks like almost a refinery of some sort or a platform on the water. Yeah, which is their little boat prison. It's built by wood, right? Uh no, metal. It is entirely made out of metal. 
Oh, I thought I remember a scene. Maybe I'm going to quickly fast forward here. I thought I remember I saw a scene of them you go ahead. constructing it with wood. There might be some parts of it that are made of wood. Let's let's be honest here. There probably is, but it is mm. supposed to be basically like a uh, platform um, on the water, kind of like an oil refinery. Oh, I, I found the shot. It looks more like it's like a metal frame, and then on, on the top they put metal. Or a wood frame, I should say. There you go. So... But yeah, makes sense. Either way, something that uh, Earthbenders are not able to manipulate, so they're a powerless prison. Yes, and so you know, uh, Sokka assures Aang. We get a shot of Sokka. Aang looking concerned for his friend, and Sokka assures him that she will be fine. And then, oh, this is also a uh, this is a platform uh, for a shipyard. That's what it is. It's a shipyard. So it's, it's, it's for ships to come in, I guess, either dock to, or get like either like resupply rest or do some, get some minor repairs. I don't know. And then we and then, and then we get your alum sci-fi alum you were talking about. Yes. The warden Takai. <laughs> now, as I referred to him more as uh, helmsman, uh, Hiraku Sulu, or you know Warden Sulu, or as I you know pronounced him more, Warden Ulus. Uh, Sulu spelled backwards for no apparent reason. Anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, but I don't know if we're on the same uh, the part here. Did has she gotten to uh, the dad yet? No, I'm just you know going over his monologue. What do, oh, what do you think of this uh, this voice that Takei does? By the way, is it just complete? Is he completely hamming it up, or? Yeah, he's totally hamming it up. It reminds me of him in other cartoons that I've seen him in. I don't know if he just enjoys doing animation stuff, where he just really kind of leans into his particular sounding voice that he has. Like, have you seen any of the stuff he's done with uh, Futurama? <laughs> he really leans into that. Uh... <laughs> That's some good stuff, though. That's some really nice stuff. And he, I forget, he only plays. It's been a while since I saw that. He only plays like. Um... Mr. Sulu again, right? Yep, yep. But he doesn't sound like the old Sulu. He sounds very no. much like he's uh, <laughs> leaning into some other vibe. Yeah. Actually, funny enough, if you pause at 12.02 or before that slightly, uh, you kind of get these, there, there's these pipes um, above him. Kind of looks like he's a demon with like four horns. It's, it's kind of interesting. Oh, that's, that's funny. Kind of cool. That's interesting. Um, was, was he in Mulan? I feel like he also is in Mulan leaning into that kind of voice too. I actually don't know if he was in Mulan or not. I I, I thought maybe he like played an ancestor or something. Maybe I'll quickly look it up. Just oh, maybe to... he did. That's right. I think he was like the head man, uh, the head ancestor in charge. It's been a long time since I saw that movie. Me too. Long, long time. I got to go back and watch that one. Yeah, we were going to rewatch it before we watched uh, me and Brianna before we watched the new Milan, but we just never did. Oh, he was in Milan. Yep. First ancestor. You're right. That's the one. I guess one. you're both That's... right, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the first ancestor, but I knew it was some ancestor. <laughs> but again, very much in that similar mode of uh, kind of, um, I don't know how to put it, but like this kind of luxurious kind of uh, exaggerated voice that he does. Basically tapping into that one episode where his like personality comes out weirdly. I don't know if you remember that, that toss episode I'm talking about. It uh, is it like the naked now or something like one of the ones where they get like drugged up. <laughs> That's the one where he like all of a sudden is shirtless and he's a fencer. Yeah. He's fencing. Excuse me. 
I don't remember if that was the naked now, but yeah, there's a couple episodes where they get kind of um yeah, a little bit intoxicated by something. But <laughs> again, good 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 show, really really groundbreaking, but it had some goofy episodes towards it. <laughs> oh yeah, some some total schlock, absolutely. I mean, it was made on drugs after all, so <laughs> Yeah, but I, I enjoy his I enjoy his performance in this episode. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I, I I love him to death for this. It's such a interesting voice. I would say that. Oh yeah, and we never talked about oh what's the other guy's name? I can't believe I'm forgetting it right now. Um, the guy who played that kind of mobster, uh, uh, Fire Nation trooper. Oh yeah, Fire uh, Lightning Bolt Zolt's dad. Yeah, what was what's that voice actor's name again? Kevin. Kevin Michael Richardson, is that it? Was that him? I guess it was. I actually forgot if it was. I, I gotta listen to him again to find out, but maybe? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did that voice. I'm pretty sure he did the old man. And I think he plays a prisoner, too. That's the dad. Maybe even the dad. Yeah, the dad, that's it. Yeah, yeah. he was the dad. Yeah, so that's definitely a voice actor that's, you know, instantly perked in my brain. Um, I always think of him in particular for, from uh, Mortal Kombat. And Lilo and Stitch, those are the two that first pop into my brain. Yeah, who did he play in uh, Mortal Kombat? Was he, he wasn't, was he Goro? He was Goro, absolutely. That's who he was. Was he Goro in the 90s or in 95? Yeah, that was the one, yep. Holy yep. smokes, he's, dang. Yeah, he's been like, around ve- for a long time. Veteran voice actor indeed, and I've heard his voice everywhere. He always, so I think he uh, Kevin Michael or Michael Clark Duncan, rest in peace. Uh, voice mm-hmm. the character in Lilo and Stitch Gantu in the uh, in the in the movie, and then mm-hmm. they do the show, and he voiced uh, Gantu uh, in that from remaining uh, the remainder of that series. Yeah. So every time, every time Michael Kevin Michael Richardson voices a character in like something animated, if it's a movie, then and if it has a series, like <laughs> nine times out of ten. Ken Michael Richardson's gonna replace his, him as a voice actor or replace his voice, excuse me. That's funny. I'm I'm glad you clarified that too, because yeah, I should have mentioned that he was in the, the TV series, which I watched uh religiously. I love that TV series I. at the time. But <laughs> did they ever did they ever get to all the experiments? That's the question. Yeah, I really gotta go back and watch that. I, I remember that being a really fun show. It's gotta be on plus, right? Like if it's not on plus, that's that's a shame because that show would do really well on plus, I'd say. Yeah, I'd like it if they put out the Tarzan show, too. I enjoyed that. Or at least I remember enjoying that. It's on Plus. It is? Like, both of them are? Oh, my goodness. There we go. Yeah, we got to review an episode or two. <laughs> oh, for Pitt's sakes. Kate, Disney? Let me let me oh. be front with you. Plus, seriously. It only lasted two seasons. Mm-hmm. Where the heck is Witch? Like, put Witch on there, please. It was made by... It, even though it was released on Gen X, it was still... Or Gen X, excuse me. It was still technically a Disney show. Pretty sure it was even on the Family Channel. Put that on there, please. I'm checking right now just to make sure it's, that it's, it's not... It's not. I know for a fact it's not. Only the Return to Witch Mountain movies come up, so... <laughs> not even Wiz- Wizards of Wa- Waverly Place. Nope. Nope. Chronicles of Narnia is next, but I guess we should really get back to this episode. We gotta finish this up here. Oh, I'm fuming here, at Disney. Why? Why? No, but so Guitar she manages to meet up with Haru again, and is not just Haru, but also the elder senior Haru. Um, I don't know if we know his name, but just Haru's dad. Yeah, guess, father. <laughs> and he's clearly kind of the the patriarch of the prisoners. Like they. A guy even comes up to him and says, like, hey, we don't have enough blankets. 
so clearly that he's the kind of one that everyone's coming to in terms of uh, looking for an elder figure. I, I will even say it's kind of funny that he's Haru's dad because Haru looks pretty young for that to be his dad, you know, kind of looks like he's an old dude. Well, you know, it could be, you know, his dad's older, his mom's younger, you know, 10 year difference, perhaps kind of like somebody I know. Yeah, the, the mom even looked kind of old too. I'm surprised by that actually. Cause I, I kind of, maybe I'm just, yeah, maybe I'm just assuming that Haru is like a teenager. Maybe he's supposed to be like in his like mid to late twenties, but I didn't get that impression. That's, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go or with what I was going to say, but I, I kind of hope that there's a split difference between his mom and his dad. I kind of hope so, but anyway, um, or, you know, it could just be like a life he's his dad's life where he lived a my, I assume he's a minor, a minor, excuse me. So yeah. maybe it was rough on his body. Who knows? And so he, you know, balded eat quicker and or grade quicker. Who, who knows? Yeah, but either way, um, he's definitely kind of the the person in charge of the prisoners. And so Katara gets right to talking. Okay, what's your plan of escape? How are we gonna oh, get out of here? Okay, his name. Okay, sorry, his name is Tyro. That's right. Ty, like one one quick like line drop of his <laughs> name being Tyro. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it does look like his grandfather. Or sorry, bring this up. As uh, anybody who watches Hogan's Heroes would say, he is the senior prisoner of war, uh, POW uh, officer. That's what mm. Yeah, so Katara, she starts trying to, you know, kind of work her scheme to free everybody, form a little rebellion. Yeah. But nobody has any interest. They're all kind of like, we just got to survive. You don't know what it's like here. Like, these Fire Nation troops are ruthless. Yeah. But Katara's like, ah, who cares about your history? With with here, all I know is that there's a chance for freedom, so that's what we got to fight for. And she even gets up and does a little bit of a display of herself, where she <laughs> grabs like a drum, and she like calls everyone everyone to attention. It's not even a drum; it's it's a spoon and a and a and a uh, bowl, <laughs> a little makeshift drum. Yeah. And even the warden sees it, and the guards kind of like, "Hey, should you know? Should we try to get a handle on this?" And then the warden's basically like, "Ah, this is just kind of this isn't going anywhere." This is going to die out. Don't worry. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's kind of embarrassing for her. Again, this is the entire thing. You come unannounced. I go to um, a completely different nation. I go to a completely separate country. And all of a sudden I, you know, I come from a land that is liberated and or freedom is a thing for us here. And over there, it's not. I go to North Korea and I all of a sudden, you know, say, listen, all you guys fight for your freedom. That exists. Yeah, you guys don't have a free media. Why don't you create one? Am I am I in the right here? First off, I'm I'm getting shot. Like, there's no I I'm getting shot and or tortured and then getting shot. Yeah, I think they're a little more subtle. I think they first just arrest you, then torture you, then put you on the program, being like, North Korea is actually the freest country I've ever been to. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Unless you're Dennis Rodman. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> But either way, yeah, so she kind of makes a little bit of an embarrassment of herself. And during the evening, Aang and Sokka show up and they're like, hey, Katara, you know, where's Haru? It's time to escape. But like I mentioned in the plot summary, I guess she's kind of bonded with the prisoners a little bit. She's she's with the oppressed. She's She's gone the oppressed. Yeah, maybe she's like imprinted on them because they're so very clearly defeated. Maybe she's like, I kind of have to be the one to stand up for all you guys. Now... 
Okay, this is this is probably gonna go nowhere. Not even nowhere. This this might even like get me in hot trouble. Uh, this might be a hot mess. I'm going into a can of worms that go. I shouldn't open. But here we go. Is this the right form of, you know, how people on Twitter, um, want to like you know be, be? Is this what SJWs are? Is this the right form of SJWs? That's I think my question. That is that is a good thing to think about with this episode because I was thinking of it to myself a little bit, where I was like, "Oh, Katara, you know, you're almost like this privileged person coming in." This is exactly what I was talking about. This is exactly what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you kind know. of kicking everyone around and being like, "Why aren't you guys doing what I think you should do?" You know, oh, you guys are oppressed. Well, that's you're only oppressed because you're not fighting back. Like, look at me. I have everything, and I'm good. Like, it's like what? So again, yeah. <sighs> I was even going to say like a white savior, but she's not white. But... She is the <laughs> furthest thing from white. Unless you want, unless people go even further. Well, the actor's white, but it's like, oh, okay. On. Yes. Maybe they could have done a better job with that, but like, I don't even know, but whatever. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> going to go, but that, that's the whole thing I've been asking this whole, that's what I've been trying to ask this whole time. Is this like, you know, does this translate to nowadays with the whole SJW movement? Am I saying that they're wrong? I don't know. Let's just say that it's it's just go on. Anybody go on Twitter and look up that kind of stuff and see what I mean. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I would say at best and at best in the terms of this is what I think it is. It's just a story of like um, even in defeat, sometimes, you know, you need a spark of hope. This is true. Oh, so this is. <laughs> and that's what Katara is supposed to be. So is this what last year I should have been? Yeah, it's a new hope. Oh, well, yeah. not not a new hope, not a new hope. The last Jedi. That's what I mean. Is this oh, what? The, I... And keep in mind, keep in mind, this episode was like made like ten years before Twitter. Well, I mean, not Twitter existed, but like at least five years before Twitter existed, and like ten years before that culture came <laughs> into existence. It's existed throughout time. I shouldn't say that, but like exactly had a name to it, basically. Yeah, I mean, she of, of course she's well-meaning, and by the kind of stated end of this episode, she's obviously in the right. Oh, she absolutely is. Like, the, the first thing is, is, like, is Katara in the right? But, like, take you know nothing about this episode. Take everything out of context. If you explain this premise to anybody, like, removing all the names, would they say, well, that's just another, like, SUW trying to get at somebody? And then you show them this episode. White savior trope. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then you show them Katara. <laughs> it's lucky because Katara isn't the actual one who even sparks the rebellion or saves them. She's just the one who kind of um, gives them the inspiration for it. So at least did that. Takes it upon herself to do so. Like if she threw the first stone that sparked the whole rebellion, that'd be a little bit like, you know, throw your hands up in the air like, oh no, this is getting a little bit too weirdly preachy in a bad kind of off color way exactly I, I wonder if the writers were having these discussions during the writing meetings that's the thing that's my question yeah it's a good it's a good question yeah of like how do you honestly talk about oppression and or standing up to fight for your freedom like how how does that work and it ultimately does kind of like come from the fact that the oppressed do kind of have to do it themselves rather than like the person that um kind of as you said is a spark to that yeah and maybe maybe people do need to see that there is hope for a freedom beyond what they know 
you know, someone like Katara coming in and being like, hey, you know, where I come from, the Fire Nation doesn't have as much of a presence and we can learn to harness our abilities. Even though she's the only one, she doesn't have to mention yeah. that part. <laughs> and we, we did see what happened in that first episode with just one you know, Fire Nation <laughs> ship. So like, eh, I don't know about that, but sorry, your point anyway. Yeah, but so to remind them that, yeah, this, you know, you can still tap into your abilities and maybe, you know, you can do something with it. I guess the whole episode is saying that they needed that spark, but. They did, uh, you know, and what what do you get from sparked coals? Yeah, so just jumping ahead. So, yeah, Aang and Sokka agree like, okay, we're going to help you save these guys. Yeah. But immediately the Fire Nation is like, hey, you know, you dummies, we caught you. We saw you flying in. Um, actually, one thing I do want to say before we get to that is I want to I want to like stay. I love again. Another thing about with the animation, I love the color when uh, Katara's on the on the platform. I love the sun setting. That was amazing. That was a very like good use of colors. Like her whole body, not, not body, but her whole clothing just turns lavender almost. And her eyes mm. also become this lavender color. And I'm like, that is some gorgeous art. Like that is some good color right there. I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I didn't realize until you mentioned that, but they actually parallel that at the end. Really? Interesting. Yeah, with uh, Zuko. I guess we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, a lot of good, like, colors here where we see, like, good... Again, like, when Char gets up to, you know, get the water out of the well um, and she sees her as mom, a really, like, nice golden, like, um, aura around them. Like, just good golden color palette and especially to contrast with, like, you know, what happened. Like, it's a good day for her and then all of a sudden it's ruined because, <laughs> you know, the, the news of Haru being... Um, mm. Oh, captured. What were you going to say? Oh, yeah, it can't be said enough. Great art throughout. I mean, like we mentioned that forest in the beginning, you mentioned that scene, which was a great storyboarded scene and really well realized. Yeah. But also just as they're coming out of the prison kind of yard, we get some great establishing shots of the uh, location. Yep. Again, kind of like what they did in the Agni Kai episode, where we you know get to see where the eventual combat will take place. So, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's no cheeky hidden things that you're like well where did this scene come from it's like no that that makes sense that's that's why that's there oh but so yeah team avatar gets cornered by them and and i like i mentioned again in the the plot summary the prisoners are essentially like just give up like there's no hope i mean i don't think they say exactly that but that's kind of their uh impression we're giving off that is fair now again there are just two other scenes that I want to talk about before we get to that. I know you're going to, I go ahead. I'm going to have to finish eventually, but it's the scene with, um, Oh yeah. So basically two guardsmen were reporting that suspicious activity is there. And then the warden ain't having it. And then just hucks one of the guys off the platform. Kind of. Yeah. Wow. That not a, uh, not a fellow to his men. That's for sure. Yeah. That was his, uh, number one, a guy. It was the number one guy because he then asked the other guy to, you know, alert the captain. You just threw him off there, sir. Wake up somebody <laughs> I haven't thrown overboard. Uh, that got a laugh out of me. <laughs> oh, you said you had another scene that you wanted to mention? Yeah, the other scene was... Oh, let's see here. So they come up with another plan. Uh, what's their plan is to use the coal in the... A part of the platform itself 
Um, and Aang's the first one to spot it. This is stupid, but Aang is the first one to spot the smoke from like one of the smokestacks, right? And then devises that the coal is processed there, right? Or is in there as for the furnace, right? Mm-hmm. Would Aang know about that? Like, does does Aang in universe know about the combustion engine? Like, I don't know if in his time there was the combustion engine. So, like, or like a furnace. I'm probably just like stupid, but does that make sense? Or is it just that, you know, you put coals over a fire and that makes fire. So I'm probably just really dumb there, but. Yeah. I mean, think about the fact that he saw that uh, city of Amashu. I mean, that looked like a pretty modern city for what the world is now, especially a hundred years prior, which still looked like it did hundred years almost. So I feel like this is like the middle ages type of thing where hundreds of years pass and very little innovation occurs. Well, industrialization does occur because of the fire nations. So well, very of... slim industrialization. I mean, it's not, well, I mean, they have that powered boats now. I mean, that's okay. It's not Cora, but at least in this show, but did we get any, in any indication that it wasn't that way before? Uh, I mean, there's still cat. I mean, I guess it depended on the region because again, fire niche, the, the, the firebenders can generate their own heat. So that means that they can industrialize further. Uh, whereas the method of earthbenders is literally to make everything out of earth and then transport it with earthbending literally. And same, similar premise with water, especially when we go to the North pole where you either have everything as ice or water based. So you would have your village near water and then work with the waterly, like, you know, as we used to do in the days, everything travels by river. Mm. And then with air, it was mostly self-sustaining by farming and using air, I guess, to gather stuff. I have no idea. So really it depends on where you are. It seems as though air is the lowest form of technologically of, of having technology. And then fire nation is like the highest uh, with having technology. I mean, well, that's fair. Uh, and then we get the scene I was about to talk about the um, the plan, whereas uh, Sokka b- goes over it. I don't know why it just reminded me of Mission Impossible. Like it, it very much reminded me, like the the him explaining everything reminded me of a scenario they would do in Mission Impossible, or even oh, I'm I'm sure that was the I'm sure that was the intent, but it's only like what like a ten second scene. I mean, they move past it immediately. <laughs> they do, and like why am I? Yeah. <laughs> why am I spending so much time on that? I don't know. It just it made me feel weird. I was like, wow, they're going either mission. They're going very Mission Impossible with this. I I guess that works. Yeah. Do you have anything else? No. All right. So then you know, uh, Ulus shows up and is like, you know, my argument is big, better than yours. After Ang blasts uh, all the air uh, into the or blasts his air uh, into the furnace and springs up a well of it's not oil it's coal but it could mm-hmm. be oil at one point <laughs> and then the speech happens Katara makes her second speech of like you know here's the tangible you know spark literally and the you know warden counters with like you know these I have broken their spirits uh, I have won yeah he just basically laughs at her you know huh, these people would never stand up against me they're like nothing they're just like empty vessels. And I think kind of his arrogance 
at least for Haru, whose spirit hasn't been quite broken yet. Right from the start, we see that even though he's hiding it, he still has that kind of strength of will to himself to break the rules. And he was like absolutely like wanting to bust them out as well. So, yeah. So it makes sense that he throws the first strike, even though he really can't back it up. Once they, you know, fire at him, he basically just kind of cowers. And it takes the elder men to stand up against them to really take it down. This is true. I guess it helps that they're they're almost all on equal odds. Because um, it seems like before they had a bunch of troops come in uh, to systematically get them out of the village beforehand. Whereas now it's almost even odds because there's a lot of earthbenders here. They're all earthbenders, which is nice. And there's only so many prisoners, or sorry, uh, soldiers and um, prison guards. Even though they probably should have like one soldier per per earthbender. Maybe... Two yeah. or three, but we're not going into they that. They never do that. Any prison you go to, the prison is going to outnumber the guards. But I do like... That's dumb, but okay. Yeah, it's just the the way they always set it up. But I do yep. like that we get that little scene of Sokka. Uh, he like, breaks off a spear, and then we see Momo like collecting the spear tips. Yep. That was just kind of random. <laughs> I didn't really understand. It what... was random, but I guess it was so that nobody gets jabbed. <laughs> Again, I assume I assume some peop, some of these guys know, you know, actual martial arts or at least close quarters combat to either like again like what Suki was doing, take down uh, the guy, the spear holders, if they can. It's I'm not going to say it's easy to do so. Any Hema practitioner will know it's hard, but that's fair. I just thought it was a strange detail to include. Yeah, but but either way, um, Haru and his dad team up to form this gigantic. Or I guess not gigantic, but sizable ball. They take a bunch, like a hand, I say handful, but they take a bunch of coal and together they compact it together. They literally push uh, at each other, which is great. I love that application. And then just huck it right at the wall and two guards fall and they probably die. They Let's just be, let's be completely honest, they die. Yeah, they corpsed out. Neck's broken, back's broken. Uh, but we didn't see anything, so it's still, it's it's still fine. It's it's totally fine. They're they're fine. Yeah, and and we see a super cool moment where Aang like forms like almost like a Gatlin gun for the <laughs> for the coal. Sort of. <laughs> so he basically creates an air funnel and then uh, asks Katara and Sokka to start feeding him coals. And this is basically his again maybe second attempt because I said he earthbends in the last episode. His second attempt of earth bending air quotes i mean maybe third because he blew his air in that vent and popped it up also i'm happy that Sokka mentioned the vents before i guess i should have mentioned this before but using the vents uh before got me thinking with these ones and we'll do the same thing that was a setup and payoff i kind of like that but to your point you say like ang's a little overpowered here but yeah i was a little surprised ang's strength to be able to pull that gigantic amount of coal up through those vents but there's that too but like you said he's we've already seen him do some pretty strong stuff so we probably don't have to spend a lot of time on it but it's not that it's the fact that he never he we we don't often see him do offensive moves so all of a Hmm. sudden when he does offensive moves you're just like whoa where'd this come from it's because he's holding back like everybody else around him is not holding back he's holding back so it shows that if he actually again was serious oh man he can like he's either on their playing field, their level of uh, playing field, or he's better than them, uh, which mm. I believe. So, because he is a, after all, a 
literally the tattoo states that he is a master airbender. So like <laughs> this kid's not messing around. Let's put it that way. Oh, but skipping past that to when they managed to get rid of all the Fire Nation troops and escape. Yeah. It looks like they even like steal a ship or something. I, I don't know entirely what that is. I don't know if their prison oh. was like out in the middle of the ocean or something. I wasn't entirely clear. Random thought, by the way, when he does use his little air funnel to, you know, throw the coal salvo at everybody, he doesn't actually realize how many he's like, he actually kind of loses control of it and it goes a wire from him. So he doesn't fully realize uh, the power he's putting. So it's one of those like accidental like kid moments almost like you would see in almost, it's almost like a hook scene in a way. I know you don't like hook, but like one of those scenes where the kids, the lost boys are like, you know, fighting Captain Hook's pirates and they like do something and they realize it was an accident and they, they shouldn't have done it. And then it like takes out a bunch of guys. It's kind of like one of those scenes. Yeah, I, I guess so. And then, um, and then one of those guys that he whacked was the warden and the coal start forming around him and a bunch of the other firebenders and firebenders are the guys, I guess that wear the masks as well. Uh, those that don't wear masks are spear throwers or spear welders, excuse me. And then, except for Lightning Bolt, Salt's dad, but anyway, the coal start forming and it's uh, Tyro and, you know, he's holds them up over water and is like, please don't do this to me. It's like, don't worry, I hear cowards float. Oh yeah, your question was, sorry, your, your, your question was, um, are they out in the middle of the ocean? Yes, they're out in the middle of the ocean. She basically incites the spark of hope uh, for these guys and that they're basically going to now take the uh, fight to uh, the rest of their villages and, and reclaim them, liberate them, which is awesome. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, and then Haru puts her aside and is like, oh, can you come with us? Like, you'd be great help. And she's like, no, I my destiny is not this path. It is with Aang. And what I was doing before was I was checking because right the last shot we see her is when she's uh, on the on the platform, excuse me, is her with the air funnel and she's wearing the brooch. And then she realizes like, oh, shoot, where's my brooch? Because that's one thing that's, that's a little like character tick she does. And we cut to our your old pal Zuko who picks up the brooch and you know, puts it in his hand and that's a setup for another day as the episode ends with the credits rolling. Yeah, thank goodness it ends at last. <laughs> it ends at last. Yeah, we see him with his little Luke Skywalker moment uh, standing in front of the, the sun. Not two suns, yeah. but... A sun, basically. Not as colored as Katara was, but still, it's a pretty cool moment. Just a, a, a mirror Luke Skywalker, or a cracked mirror version of Luke Skywalker, if one would say that. Anyways. Yeah, but uh, final thoughts? You'll be happy to note that the uh, animation services were provided once again by JM Animation, so it was not DR Movie, your old buds there. That's, that's uh, good, so, at least. But... Yeah, for, for you, at least. Um, yeah, I'll, I guess I'll go quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, this was definitely one that stood out for my initial viewing. For anyone who's listened to our commentary on the movie, I had binged this series in like maybe like two or three weeks. I don't remember the exact number. And so a number of these episodes just kind of, you know, faded out of my brain pretty quickly after watching them. Blended together. Blended together, exactly. Because I would sit down and watch like maybe like 10 at a time. 
um, or like eight at a time, whatever. But this one absolutely stood out. Um, I really enjoy Katara's kind of, e even though we already discussed it's a little bit, um, maybe a little silly slash overly simplistic with her inspiring this rebellion. But but I enjoyed it either way, and I, I liked the idea of this um, ship where they lock up the Earthbenders away from their element, so they're kind of depowered. I just thought all that stuff worked quite well. In the art, again, like we talked about. And are demoralized. Yeah, that too. And like we talked about, the art is just great in this one, so a lot of really good highlights to it. But on to you. <laughs> yeah, for my thought, final thoughts, this was the first, I think, episode we got with Katara where it's kind of her-centric led episode in a way the previous few uh like warriors of kiyoshi was kind of a duly shared between ang and sokka almost and then the last episode king of Amashu was all ang only and that was pretty much it this one was finally centered on katara which was which was nice we finally get some more of her and that there probably is a bit resentment that her mother was taken away from her, obviously. And we got that with the whole brooch or her, her betrothed necklace, excuse me. Is she subconsciously using these guys for, for means to an end? Or is it her wanting to do what she couldn't have done back when her village was attacked? That's the question. The fact that these guys are down on their luck, but they have potential. They have some resources and they have the means to fight back maybe that ultimately is what she was trying to do because it fighting these fire nation soldiers is so personal for her after they attacked her village. So yeah, I certainly, I'm very much feeling this episode. This was a very like, I don't know how long this episode turned out, but like, man, I, we, we, we gushed and talked about it and I am like just impressed uh, with what they were able to do in this time frame. But as for your whole, like, you know, there was some romance between Haru and Katara. I very, very, very subtly. Mm -hmm. I did not see like any romance. I mean, I saw her blush at the end, but I don't know. I forget if that was from Tyro talking to her or that was Haru talking to her. Yeah, I'll do my little through line through it. I mean, we get that scene right at the start where she's like, oh my gosh, like, even though she doesn't say it, she has this look of like, he's so attractive and he's this you know ang is kind of he's a couple years younger than her right uh believe that she is supposed to be 13 and he's 12 really she she seems more mature it, that could just be that old stereotype of girls mature faster but haru seems a little bit more on her level they have that scene where they kind of bond by like the not quite sunset but it kind of looks like a sunset they talk about their shared parental loss there, the, there's those moments where it just seems like there's a little bit more of a mature kind of element to their bond there. But Yeah, I, I, I see your point. Um, but I think it's very, very, very subtle. I don't see it agrees. as anything more than subtlety because it's insane. Okay, 14 in the last Airbender. Or in, in Avatar, the last Airbender, excuse me. So two years uh, older than Aang is. Sure. That makes sense. Oh, but anyway, folks, that's the end of uh, this episode. <laughs> I'm not sure how long it's been, but... But you don't want to stay and keep talking? <laughs> well... Oh, you want to go to bed. Yeah, I, I'm I'm genuinely concerned about our next episode because the next one is a two-parter. So, I mean, I don't know how long that one's going to take. <laughs> oh, golly. That's... 
but it's it's a big one. It's it's a big one, man. There's oh. that's when lots of stuff is dropped on us finally. Like a lot of lore is given to us. Yeah, so hopefully we can manage to keep that one at a little bit more of a, a little bit more of an even keel. But, but anyway. spoilers, no. Oh boy. But anyway, I, I enjoyed this uh watching this episode absolutely. And uh see you guys in the next one. Peace. part where we always just kind of wait for it to start with the uh the opening <laughs> obligatory wait uh-huh. this section of the podcast contains spoilers for all seasons of avatar the last airbender and the legend of korra enter at your peril But this guy does kind of look like a mobster with the way he's like, he like starts lighting up his fire. He's looking around all like with this big <laughs> grin. Is this, oh, what's that guy's name? Is this Lightning Bolt Zao or Zolt? No, not Zolt. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but in Korra, there was a brief like mobster that we saw. Um, it was actually the first introduction of Amon bloodbending or excuse me, excuse me, removing one's bending. Pardon me. Um, where he oh. like fights him, shoots lightning at him, and then like takes his bending away, which is funny because he's also voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, which will come up oh, later. That is funny. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember him looking like stunned and like shaking and like oh, like it's yep. just, something's just like a violation just happened to me. Yep. No, that's exactly it. So it's like maybe this is the maybe this is either the grandfather or the dad of of <laughs> Lightning Bolt, whatever his name is. Oh my goodness, his name really was Lightning Bolt Zolt. <laughs> I sorry, I looked it up on the wiki. That's just... anyway. Hey, good good on you, man. I don't know why I have that memory, but anyway. Hey, that's that's good to know that you got so many little memories that are gonna pop up as we go along. Team Zuko? I mean there's Team Azula, but like Not Team Rocket? Uh, I mean he doesn't really <laughs> blast off again, so it was just a stupid joke. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. I, I like it, but I'm just like Team Zuko. I mean, there's there's Uncle, and then there's Guard One, and then there's Guard Two, and then there's the other guy, and maybe the janitor. The ship. And... It's kind of his Oppa. Oh, know. for Pitt's sakes! <laughs> yeah, Cold Metal Oppa. I guess <laughs> that's the. Uh... Didn't we talk about in one of the spoiler sections how they originally wanted to do like a steampunk version of the story and they were going to have like a steampunk like ship they're flying around in? Oh, yeah, that's right.
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna redo that one at some point. I'll get I'll get my uh, all my eggs in one basket, or at least uh, get get all my uh, books in, on the shelf to before I, I tackle that again. Sure, probably when we do the pilot for what the original premise was. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Yeah, read what the more what the details were. Yeah, do a kind of what if episode. 